So seriously, uh, we can get you that soundtrack before you make a presentation or even before you're ready to cook lunch. It just gets you going. Uh, and we've been going all weekend. Uh, and I have a question for you right off the bat. Do you remember the first love letter you ever got? Yeah. Some of you are holding really still because it's not from the person you're sitting next to. <laughs> and you just got it last week. Uh, no. No, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be good. Uh, love letters. Now, for those of you that are younger, there, were the, there used to be the things called letters. Uh, and you would sit down and you would use a thing called paper and a pen and an envelope and a stamp. And you would write your sweetie. And then three or four days later, they would get your text. My first love letter was the summer of 1976, back in the 20th century. I was 18 years old. I was in Guadalajara, Mexico. I had signed on to spend the summer there. I had left uh, this girl I had started dating in Santa Cruz, this amazing Christian girl, beautiful California blonde, uh, Brenda Lynn Wolf. And she was home uh, working at Vip's restaurant. And uh, so anyway, we got to, we got to Mexico. I, I had said goodbye to her. I wasn't going to see her until September. And which was kind of a bummer, but we had an exciting summer ahead of us. And uh, we were just getting settled into our room, and the missionary came in with, with kind of a goofy smile on his face. I didn't even know the guy yet. And he's like, here, I think this is for you. And he started handing it to me, and then he held onto it, and he, he smelled it again, and he gave it to me. <laughs> and sure enough, it had her perf perfume. There's it. Uh, and I opened it up, and sure enough, it was a love letter. She already missed me. She told me stuff that she was doing. She was praying for me, she said. And the end of it, she signed it. I love you, Brenda Hart, XOXOXOX. <laughs> and I'm like, this is pretty awesome. So I tucked the letter away thinking I would uh, need to be reading it every day. But no, I didn't need to read it every day because the next day I got another love letter from her. <laughs> and every day that summer, well, just about, I think well, we were there for about 65, 70 days, and I think I got about 50 letters from her um, that summer. And I was teased mercilessly <laughs> by the team, but I didn't care because 2,000 miles north, there was a woman waiting for me to come home and be her sweetie as we would join, start our sophomore year of college. Love letters are awesome, and that's what we're studying for the next eight weeks, a love letter. The Apostle Paul writes a love letter to people he dearly uh, cares for, and the letter to the Philippians is the sweetest of all books. Uh, every time I think of you, Paul says, I thank God for you, I pray for you with joy. Um, he writes this somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D., uh, they're 800 miles apart, Philippi and Rome. I hadn't seen each other for years. It's been 12 years since they met. And uh, we know the story of their first day of, of meeting each other, from not from the book of Philippians, but from the book of Acts. So that's where we're going to start today. Acts chapter 16, verse 9, to refresh ourselves in the history of the church at Philippi. Now, as you're turning, I'll remind you that the Apostle Paul had these long journeys he took. They're called his missionary journeys where he went uh, all over the known world. This time he, uh, he's at Troas uh, when he has a vision of a man in Europe up in Philippi saying, come and uh, see us. 
And so they left Troas, they got on a boat, uh, overnighted in Samothrace, an island, and the next day they're in Philippi, a respected Roman colony. And Philippi uh, really was uh, a part uh, of the, the, the uh, loyal Roman Empire since about eight years previous before Paul's visit. The men of Philippi went out on the plains outside of city, the city and joined the forces of Rome who were battling the forces of Cassius and Brutus. And you remember Brutus was the rebel and Cassius, they were the ones who assassinated Caesar. So they were trying to take over the empire and the citizens of Philippi said, not on my watch. And they went out and they, in an epic battle, they, they, they turned back Cassius and Brutus. And in gratitude for that, the emperor granted Philippi colony status, which was considered a wonderful thing because if you were a colony city, then all of your residents were, were given the highest level of Roman citizenship and all the rights, as well as the responsibilities, as if they were living in Rome itself. So it was a high privilege. Uh, the, the, the Many of the residents of Philippi were retired military officers, uh, Praetorian Guard, uh, the Roman legions, and uh, highly patriotic uh, people, and very much uh, wanting to preserve Roman culture. As a matter of fact, they wanted to preserve Roman culture so much that they, were, uh, they only were uh, allowing you to worship Roman gods. There's 12 Roman gods, and you could only worship Roman gods within the city limits. If you wanted to worship your other weird cult behavior, you could go down by the river, but in the city, uh, only the Roman gods. There was even signs posted that said, introduction of new religion into this city is prohibited by law. But in Acts 16, the Apostle Paul enters their city, and wherever Paul went, Jesus went. And uh, Paul couldn't, like, separate himself for that. He didn't, he didn't tamp down his Christianity just because there were rules uh, against it. And that's what we do, too. That's, Paul's example is for us as well. We're not obnoxious with our Christianity, but we can't unplug ourselves. We don't go on vacation for being Christians, and we don't, just because... There's some policy or something or some family rule that, you know, you don't talk about your religion. We were like, you know, I'll, I know how to do this. I'm not a jerk, but also I can't not share Christ. Christ is a part of me. And that's the, uh, that's the Apostle uh, Paul. And as I say that, I imagine some of us even listening today are navigating a new environment. Uh, you've recently moved. Your kids are in a new school. You've changed jobs. And there's a new group of people. Uh, so as you move into that new environment, I encourage you to take Jesus with you. And do it in a winsome way. Uh, don't just bust through the doors and start uh, quoting Scripture to everyone. But once you get in there and you start figuring out what does this community need and how would Jesus best be communicated to this group of people, my kids' new school, the, um, on the sidelines, we're watching our kids on a new team, whatever, for you to say, um, I've got to figure out how to bring Christ into the conversation, which is what the Apostle Paul always did. And when you think of it, that's probably one of the reasons God moved you into that new environment with those new people, because he loves them so much. You're actually God's gift to them. Think of yourself as God's gift to the world. I've done it my whole life. It works for me. It'll work for you as well. All right, back to our story where in verse 13 of Acts 16, they're in Philippi, and Luke tells us they've been told that there is a women's prayer group out of town, uh, women who are uh, studying the Old Testament scriptures, the, the, the Jewish scriptures, and they, they meet every Sabbath uh, down by uh, the riverbank. 
And Paul's group joins them, and before long, he's explaining the Scriptures to them in a way they've never heard because he shows them how the Scriptures were prophesying a coming Messiah, a coming Savior, and he tells them, I know who it is. It's Jesus of Nazareth, and he, he was a rabbi that was crucified, but he rose from the dead, proving himself to be the Son of God, and he's the one who we serve, and I am following now this religion and actually traveling the world, spreading this faith that I call the way of love. And uh, so we read in verse 14, their response, uh, see there, verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She's a worshiper of God. Uh, The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home, saying, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Luke tells us. So Lydia is an exceptional woman uh, who had, in the day and age of male dominance in business, uh, secured a dealership in imported purple cloth. Now this begs a little bit of explanation. The color purple was a color to only be worn by military or political uh, elites or people who had inherited a high status uh, in Rome. If your toga was purple, you were at the top echelons of society. And the lower classes were simply not allowed to purchase the color. They wouldn't have been able to afford it anyway. Anything stained with this, uh, this, this dye made from crushing these tiny little snails that were uh, harvested off the coast of Lebanon... Uh, it would take thousands of these little snails to produce even one ounce of this, this dye, which making it actually literally worth its weight in gold. Well, Lydia held one of the prized Philippian contracts to sell this dyed cloth uh, to the local elites, gaining her enough wealth to make her a homeowner, a female homeowner, in uh, 50 A.D. Very rare anywhere in the world in 50 AD. Uh, She's a worshiper of God, and as Paul opened the scriptures that day, it says the Lord opened her heart, and soon she had rounded up her entire family for baptism and convinced Paul and his friends to move into her guest rooms. And for all these reasons, Lydia becomes a great role model for Cornerstone's women that have been successful in the marketplace. but Cornerstone's women who are also seeking the Lord. And uh, she's in the right place at the right time all the time. She's got an amazing work ethic, willing to take risks. And, uh, and against all odds, she's become very successful. But then on Sabbath, she puts that away. And her and her friends she go down and she leads what we're going to call Lydia's River Tribe in a prayer group. And uh, then she... She meets Paul, and it says in verse 14, one of the New Testament translators says, God had opened her heart to pay attention. And that is a beautiful thought. I love that. As I sat with that this week, I I, I prayed, Lord, open my heart to pay attention. Pay attention. Things are moving very fast these days. Sometimes we enter into a situation where we think it's our job to start talking. And honestly, it might be our job to start observing and God had opened her heart to pay attention. And, uh, of course, little did she know when she started paying attention to Paul that soon her own home would be host to the greatest church planter in the history of Christianity. Uh, in one of her guest rooms was the guy who would become the most prolific author of the New Testament. Can you imagine if you're hosting Paul as your house guest? 
Her home became ground zero for Christianity as it entered into Europe for the first time. Now remember, this was a city that expressly forbid the introduction of new religion, and Lydia introduced Christianity into her own home and hosted it there, and I'm sure she lived in a very nice neighborhood. Now back in Troas, you will remember, Paul had had a vision. Remember we, we said that, or did that go by you too fast? He had a vision in Troas, and there was a man from Europe, a European man dressed in a European fashion with European accents and language, saying to Paul, come here and help us. And Paul knew very much where this guy was from. But when he, the next day and the day after, when they, they, find, they did bring, come to help, they didn't find a European man. They found a European woman, Lydia, who had always stepped forward when there wasn't a man there. Uh, Lydia didn't wait for a man to show up and solve things. And there she was, and she became uh, host to Christianity, which is, which is amazing. And I hope the Cornerstone women are hearing me, especially those of you that have, ex- have very much succeeded out there in the marketplace. And uh, you have used your talents and abilities. You've pressed forward. It's still a man's world. Uh, and you have succeeded in that world and have proven yourself to be someone that people uh, respect, uh, will, will, will do business with, uh, will uh, obey as a boss, uh, a person who gets called into meetings where your advice, your counsel is, is uh, uh, sought after. You're a very busy woman. You're, you're too busy to add anything to your schedule. So, Pastor, don't ask me to do anything. Uh, but, you know, uh, I just love how Lydia must have been very busy and God picked her. You know, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to help you. Uh, and I think Lydia is the role model for busy, successful women that want to follow after Christ. She opened her heart. She asked God to help her pay attention. She knew that she had been given credibility and been put in a place of influence. Uh, yes, she's going to take some risk among Philippi's purple wearers uh, by introducing this religion, but she never even hesitated. And she reminds me of Esther in the Old Testament, who at great personal risk um, brought salvation to her people because she realized she had been born and placed for such a time as this. So I ask you, Cornerstone women, why have you been placed in the position you've been placed in, in the marketplace? Why are you given so much respect? Because you are talented. You're intelligent, you're smart, you're hardworking, you're wonderful. But that's not the end of your story. Your story is attached to the story of Jesus and the spread of the gospel in the East Bay, in your very own zip code, at your company, among your family, among, uh, and, and in your neighborhood. And I want to, I have asked the Holy Spirit to lay it on your heart during 2020 to step it up a notch when it comes to using, you know, playing those, those cards that you've been handed for whatever God might have planned for his mission uh, in uh, the Bay Area. And if you're watching online, wherever in the world you are. And hello to Christian's mom there in Amsterdam. And hello to those of you in the Central Valley. And I respect you. All right. Read on. Verse 16, we meet another very different woman. Now, she's very different from Lydia. Look at, look at verse 16. Uh, once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This slave was owned by several people uh, who were paid handsomely for her fortune-telling ability. And she attached herself to Paul group, Paul's group, 
and made herself a nu nuisance, not by what she was saying, but by constantly interrupting and, and, make, and just constantly, she would say, these men are the servants of the Most High God, telling them the way to be saved, telling you the way to be saved. And Paul would say, thank you very much. And then, these men are the servants, telling you the way. He's like, yeah, you already said that. Would you please be quiet? These men are the... And finally, Paul just turned and he cast the demon away from her. And uh, shut up. And she was immediately freed from this demonic bondage that she was under. But she also lost her ability to tell fortunes, which infuriated her owners. They grabbed Silas, grabbed Paul, put together a mob, created uh, a racial situation there. Because look at the accusation before the magistrates. You'll see it there. These Jews are stirring up trouble, they said. And, uh, and you know... <laughs> The local crowd said, oh, yeah, those Jews, you know. And so the magistrates were very quick to have Paul and Silas stripped, uh, flogged, and thrown into jail. And they told the, the jailer to lock them in stocks. So uh, there they are in jail. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which is what I always do when I'm up in the night in pain. And the other prisoners are just listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. The prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw that everybody had been free. He draws his sword to kill himself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. He calls for lights. He comes in. He sees everyone still there, just sitting there. And he says to Paul and Silas, what? 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 And he says, what? What? How, can, how can I get saved from this mess? And Paul hears the word saved, and so he says, oh, you mean, what, what must you do to be saved? And I don't think he meant that at all, but they said, well, listen, here's what we've done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your whole household will be saved. And uh, then they begin to talk about the Lord to him, and before long, he has invited them into his home, which was somewhere right at the prison or right by the prison, and uh, he's washing their wounds and feeding them a hot meal. His whole family's there. Paul and Silas share the gospel with them. And before dawn, the entire family has been baptized and added to uh, Lydia's tribe, the, the prayer group there, the church at Philippi. Uh, and then at sunrise, look at verse uh, 35. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. And the jailer says, hey, the magistrates have changed their mind. They've, they've agreed to release you. You can leave. And Paul says, oh, no, no, we're not leaving. No, we're not leaving. They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. Wah, wah. They threw us into prison, even though we're Roman citizens. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? That's not going to happen. No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Um, and, and it doesn't say it here, but it seems pretty obvious. Paul is asking for a very public escort out because their imprisonment had been very public. And also, they escort him all the way to Lydia's house, which is almost like Paul saying, hey, listen, this lady right here, you leave her alone too, or we'll be back. And uh, you have broken Roman law, and we're going to let you off the hook unless, you know, we, we need you to treat the church well. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't say any of that, but I'm pretty sure. And this is cool because you see Christians exercising their rights, and, uh, which, is, 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 which is a very important thing for Christians, especially Christians who have rights. Uh, we, don't, we live in a country where we have a lot of rights that we need to be exercising uh, for the sake of the kingdom um, of God. 
All right, so they go back to Lydia's house. They say their goodbyes. The new church now consists of Lydia, her family, her river tribe, a uh, formerly demon-possessed girl is now leading the youth group, uh, and um, a jailer and his family. Uh, and they're also leading the youth group. Anyway, uh, and Paul and his group say their goodbyes. They leave. They leave Luke in place uh, to shepherd the infant church for a little while. And now, 10 years later, Paul writes this love letter to them, which is typical for Paul to be somewhere for a short amount of time, get things launched, and then leave, and then write uh, the letter back. And so let's open Philippians and let's see what he said. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, I thank my God every time I remember you. And with this greeting, Paul opens the warmest, most tender letter in the entire New Testament. A letter from one man to a group of people he loves. So before we start to pick it apart, could we remind ourselves of something? This book of Philippians isn't a book. It's a letter. There's a difference between a book and a letter. And all the New Testament books aren't the same, and they should not be read the same. These letters should be read as letters. So even though you, you, we do pick them apart and for, for, for good reason, we also read them from start to finish at one sitting. It's very important. I mean, imagine if I wrote you a long letter after not being around for a long time, and you got together as a group, and you open it up, and, you, and the, the, the pastor says, well, I've taken the liberty to divide this into four chapters and 108 verses, and, and, uh, and so we're just going to do a few verses today because it's just full of nuggets, and it's just wonderful, and you did a couple verses, and then you didn't even read the rest of it. You just closed the letter up, and you waited until next weekend to pick it up there. Well, that's ridiculous. But that's exactly what we do, and we do it for good reason because we do want to study those nuggets, but we also need to read it like a letter from start to finish, or we will miss the impact and the context of what's being said here. And it's very important with all of Bible study that we just don't go through Bible study and pick scriptures out in order to say what we want to say. And you'll hear this with bad preaching, where a preacher will just take a thought and decide what he's going to preach, and then he goes and opens the Bible, and he pulls out a scripture or even a half a scripture to confirm what uh, he's saying. Uh, don't trust that. All Scripture needs to be read in context. Uh, and in a case of, say, uh, a New Testament gospel, maybe a couple chapters before and a couple chapters after. And in the case of a letter, the whole letter. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I, I have an assignment for you. Uh, how many of you are would willing to do an assignment if it only took you 12 minutes? 12 minutes. That's all I'm asking. 12 minutes. Come on. 12 minutes. Come on. 12 minutes. How about you, you guys online? Give me some love. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. You probably figured it out. But... Uh, show me some love if you're willing to do something for 12 minutes. Now, you have to do it before you sleep tonight. You're like, oh, well, I don't know if I have 12 minutes before I sleep tonight. <laughs> all right. What I'm going to ask you to do is read the book of Philippians, all 104 verses, in one sitting. Today, before you sleep, it'll take you 12 minutes. You don't even have to read it. You could just get your uh, Bible app out, and you could hit play. And that, that comforting voice will read Philippians to you. Um, and if you will do that, now how many will do it? How many will do it? All right, good. Uh, good. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you'll have some kind of a rash developing later on today. Uh, I've already prayed a curse on you for not reading the No, we don't do that here. We, we're a rashless church. We are, that, would be, that would be rash. 
Uh, anyway, uh, but I might start doing it. I don't know. I'm thinking about it now. All right. 104 verses, four chapters of the Bible, 12 minutes, and here's what will happen. I'm hoping that you won't just do it once. I'm hoping you'll do it once before you go to bed tonight, and then I'm hoping that you'll enjoy it so much that you'll keep hitting play on your Bible app, and you'll keep listening to Philippians just as you're getting ready for work in the morning, just as you're kind of thinking about what we preach this week and, 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 and you're preparing for the next week. And what will happen to you is this. The more you read it or listen to it, the more it will start to feel like Paul is writing a letter to you. And the Holy Spirit is giving you encouragement and instruction, and that's why we study the Bible. And if you will commit to that, I will resist the urge to just read you the book of Philippians right now. So let's vote. You want me to unpack a few of the verses, or you want me to just read them all to you? That's what I thought. All right, so you have to read them, because here we go. Paul and Timothy, verse 1, servants of Christ Jesus. All right, just stop right there. Stop right there. We're doing this old school cornerstone. Servants of Christ Jesus. Servants. That's a very important word here. Paul uses the word doulos. Uh, douloi is plural, uh, which is Greek, and you don't know that word, but it's not the word slave. So any of you who ever heard a sermon say, we are slaves of Christ. We're slaves of Christ. I'll tell you one thing for sure. That was a white preacher that said that. Uh, and they think that being a slave is really awesome for some reason. Being a slave is terrible. And the Bible would never call you a slave. You're not a slave. Uh, well, the Bible would say you were a slave to sin, okay, but Christ does not want any slaves. He wants servants. So what's the difference? Well, in the Roman Empire, there were different levels of being slaves or servants. Now, there were slaves in the Roman Empire, just like in American history. Terrible. Uh, but this is not what Paul's talking about. There were also those that were servants that were servants because they had to pay off a debt. They were indentured. And they had to spend uh, days, weeks, months, or years paying off their debt or their parents' debt or whatever. But those servants even had rights and were treated with respect. And once they had paid off the debt, they were free. But Paul's not even talking about that because he's not saying, Timothy and I are paying off a debt to God. No. He calls themselves douloi, which means binding. They are bond servants. In the Roman Empire, you could bind yourself to an employer, uh, and they literally would be your lord or master, but it's not a, a situation where you're being whipped or abused or starved or whatever. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. You're being treated very well because you, you might have a better education than the, the benefactor. Uh, he just happens to be really wealthy, and he needs... He needs someone to, guard his, to watch his vineyards. He needs someone to guard his house. He needs someone to teach his children. He needs a medical doctor. He needs a, someone to train the horses, whatever. Build him a palace. So if he's rich enough, he will bind himself to you like you bind yourself to him, and then you don't work for anybody else. You are subcontracted to him uh, throughout the period of this binding, which could be for the rest of your life. You were free to be released from it at, at certain points, but you also probably wouldn't because your life was really good under this, uh, under a benefactor. Uh, and they had to treat you well or you would go bind yourself to someone else. Just like how we have a job, but if our employer abuses us, we go and look for another job. It's actually a lot the same, how we bind ourselves knowing, hey, tomorrow you got to go back, you got to go to work because you agreed to work that job. So anyway, Paul says, Timothy and I are bound to Christ and Christ is an amazing master. Uh, it's, it's great to serve him because we serve a master who says, I don't even call you servants. I call you friends. 
And, uh, uh, and we used to serve some t- older, different masters. Uh, substance, um, anger, um, selfishness. There's lots of masters that we used to serve. And our new master, Jesus, even helps us push those old uh, uh, masters away and get, help us get rid of those old bondages. But then we, in turn, the people that we supervise, the people that we parent, the people that we have authority over, we serve Christ and we imitate Christ who said, the bosses in this world lorded over their people, flaunting their authority every day. But not us. It'll be different with us. Whoever wants to lead must serve. Whoever craves being first must be served last. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. All right, servants, have you got it? All right, verse 2. Verse 2, here we go. Verse 2, wow. We're blasting through this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's greeting of grace and peace Peace is a mashup of the Greek greeting grace and the Jewish greeting peace. It's as if every one of Paul's audiences has to remind themselves that because Paul navigated the Roman, Greek, and Jewish uh, cultures so well, he expects his listeners to do the same. So he doesn't say grace to you, or he doesn't just say peace to you. He says both. So when you're sitting there together, you remind yourself that you have very different backgrounds, but you're all part of the same grace and peace family. Grace means unearned favor, and peace means tranquility. And that's the kind of atmosphere we're trying to produce around here. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Look for this word in Philippians. Paul uses it 14 times in this letter. You'll hear it. When you read it, before you go to bed tonight, you'll hear the word joy over and over again. And here he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So as Paul writes, he's remembering when he first met them on the riverbank there that day. 10 years ago, but he's also saying it's not just the memory that gives me joy. What gives me joy is that you guys are still my partners. And what he's really talking about is that they are his prayer partners and they're also his financial supporters. This one Philippian church family who only saw Paul for a few weeks the first time and then over the years from time to time, but not that much, they supported Paul financially for the rest of his life. So when he was in Corinth, he got... Uh, a gift from, from the Philippians, a large gift, so that uh, he wouldn't have to take money from the Corinthians so that he could tell the Corinthians some hard stuff and say, hey, I'm not your employee. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm working a job here, and, 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 and he had these other funds. And the other funds came from Philippi. Uh, when Paul was collecting money for the impoverished Jerusalem church, the Philippians jumped in. When Paul was in Rome in jail, the Philippians put together a huge offering and gave it to uh, one of their own, Epaphroditus, who traveled 800 miles with a bag of money to give to Paul to say, we wanted to make sure you were okay. And Paul says, you guys are amazing. As a matter of fact, the letter to the Philippians is a thank you note for that gift that Epaphroditus brought. And uh, so when I read this this week, I was reminded of so many of you who have made tremendous sacrifices over and again for this church. So many of you have been faithful in generosity 
and not just for a year or two, but for many years as we have ministered to tens of thousands of people over the past 27 years. We do it all the time, and your generosity seems to never stop. You did it again this Saturday. Some of you were here uh, as we hosted the group New Day for Children. New Day for Children is an American nonprofit that specifically provides recovery to American girls ages 10 to 18 who were trafficked in the sex trade. American girls. And uh, uh, Elizabeth, what's her name? Elizabeth, Elizabeth Smart was here uh, yesterday to speak. And uh, when she got done speaking, um, they raised $50,000 in our facilities. And, uh, and that's awesome. And it's very typical of Cornerstone to host something where we, it's not for us. It's for one of our partners and raising this kind of money. And for New Day, that means that, that a lot of girls are going to get uh, psychiatric care, medical attention, safe housing, all kinds of therapy, including equine therapy with horses, and uh, it's, just, it's just a great, great ministry. I encourage you to support them. Uh, and that's just typical for the church, and it causes me to say things like Paul says, I thank God every time I think about you. And I th- I, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, your partnership to give to Cornerstone, your church. And, and as great as it's been, I believe our best years are still ahead of us because God keeps giving us fresh vision for how to reach our world. And you know, friends, it's not too late for you to become our partners. Uh, there are some of you, I imagine, that have been here a while and you've been benefiting from the ministry and you've plugged into our vision, but for whatever reason, you have uh, not plugged into partnering with us financially. And I really would encourage you to do that. This is your church, and not only do you benefit from it, uh, so many others do as well, and it's just a worthwhile cause. I would encourage you to put Cornerstone on the top of uh, the list of things that you give to and begin immediately to give generously to your own church. Are you with me? All right, good. Verse 6, already, I'm confident of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm confident of this, he says. I'm certain of this, he says. I'm counting on this, he said. Why? Because I didn't start the church in Philippi. God did, and when God starts something, God finishes it. And the you here on, in this scripture, the you is more of a y'all. Uh, it's not a singular you. But God says, he who began a good work in your group will carry it on until the end of days. All right, so did you get that card when you came in? Did you get this card? If you're watching online, uh, they'll, they'll make sure to somehow put this up for you. Or I don't know how you'll do it. But this is Philippians 1.6. And we're going to memorize it together right now. And the way, the way you memorize a short scripture like this is you just put anchor words, and we picked you four words for you to hang all the other words on, okay? So the words we picked are begin and carry and completion and day. All right, look at the screen and say those words with me. Ready? Begin. Can you remember begin, carry, completion, day? B-C-C-D. All right, now put the whole scripture up. Uh, He who began a good work in you, don't just listen to me, say it. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the Christ Jesus. Now, just the anchor words again. Uh, He who a good work in you will carry it on to until the of Christ Jesus. All right, so a lot of you have got it already. Some of you have almost got it. Take this card with you and work on it. 
uh, in the next 48 hours, and you'll have it. And then in the weeks to come, we'll have several of these verses for you to memorize. And the reason we memorize verses is that they need to come forward in our mind when we hit a tough situation. I venture to say sometime in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get frustrated about a situation. Something's not coming together for you. And you'll have to say, but wait a minute. Did God begin this or is this me? But if God told me to do this or God begin this, then he who began a good work, say it with me, will carry it on to completion. And you know what else might happen? You might be talking to one of your friends, and your friend is feeling despair. They're feeling like giving up. They're, uh, and, they're, you know, it's just been too long of a haul. And while you're talking, the Holy Spirit will go, Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.6. And you'll go, hey, you know what? Uh, we talk, I've been thinking about this, and I, I even have this little card. I want you to see this card. Look, what, what does that card say? And you show your friend. He who began a good work in you will carry it. What, do, what, do you, what does that mean to you, friend? Does that mean that you should give up? And then you know what you can do? You can give him the card and say, memorize this and hang on to it. It's a promise from God written from the Apostle Paul to friends of his, but it's your promise as well. All right, got it? Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Oh, Paul. See, it's a love letter. So that's why he uses words like feel. When you read Hebrews, you're not going to hear the word feel much. Romans, not a lot of feels in there. But you read Philippians, he uses the word feel 14 times in four chapters because it's a feelings book. It's right for me to feel how I feel about you. I have you in my heart. No matter if I'm in chains or preaching, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. So now he goes from showing them affection and he shifts into a prayer. And it's a beautiful short prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is a wonderful prayer. And he prays that their love would abound and that the foundation of their love for one another, is what he's saying, would create a great knowledge and insight and wisdom in regards to all their relationships with each other and their relationship to the Philippian community. And so what he's saying is love can be the foundation of knowledge, love can be the foundation of wisdom and discernment. There is knowledge that you can have, not from going to classes or reading books. It comes from just loving. And from becoming more loving, you can know things that you wouldn't normally know. And there's wisdom and discernment as well. Uh, The more you love the smarter you get about the things that really matter. And, uh, and, 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 and so a, a, as we think about these things, let's just let these words uh, permeate our soul this week, starting with that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless till the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As we study this letter for the next eight weeks, I pray that the Lord gives you a spirit of paying attention to what God may be saying in a fresh way. You may be a person who's studied Philippians many times over your life, and I'm going to pray that you get a completely fresh insight into what Paul is saying to these people and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And I'm also praying that God, who began a good work in us, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's enough for today. I love you.
Let's stand and sing and go out and live it.